you turn to Mark chapter 1, which is our text today, I'm actually going to have you turn in your gray books to page 815. We're going to do something that we don't usually do. Um, I'm going to read at least the, I'm going to read the first part of the Athanasian Creed. Uh, and uh, the Athanasian Creed is this really old creed of the church. Um, I think like about 1,500 years old. And it's, uh, it tries to articulate two basic things. It tries to explain the doctrine of the Trinity, and it tries to explain the nature of Christ. And uh, I'm just going to read the, the first part where it's talking about the, the Trinity. So whoever will be saved before all, all things... Uh, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, uh, which uh, faith except everyone do keep hold and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. Uh, and the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither uh, confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Father is uncreated, and the Son is uncreated, and the Holy Spirit is uncreator, uncreated. The Father is incomprehensible, the Son is incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit is incomprehensible. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, and the Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but only one eternal being. Also there are not three uncreated beings, nor three incomprehensible beings, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible being. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, and the Holy Spirit is almighty. And yet there are not three almighty, but only one almighty. And so the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet they are not three gods, but one God. It's the Athanasian Creed. And now from Mark chapter 1. This will be a little different. Um, before I read the passage, I, I wanted to make a couple of comments, because... Uh, we're in the we're in the just in the beginning of this series on the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I'm going to be talking about a certain theme that arises out of our passage, but I wanted to get you a sense of how this fits maybe in the bigger picture, and uh, so there's two things I wanted to point out to you. The first is that in the past section, the one that we read last week, and this section, uh, the setting is very important. Okay, and the setting is the wilderness. It's the wilderness. In the Bible, the wilderness is a very important place. Um, let's see. Uh, Elijah hears God's voice in the wilderness. Moses is called by God, the burning bush. It's in the wilderness. Uh, God's people uh, receive God's law and instructions for how they're to live, not in Egypt, but in Sinai, right? In the wilderness. The wilderness tends to be the place where we meet God. That's still true today. Um, when we talk about the wilderness, we're not talking about uh, like Manistee National Forest. Okay, 
This isn't lush and full of life and, and, and lots of things you could eat. Uh, this is barren. This desert. That's usually what it means when the Bible's talking about the wilderness. And that's important because in, in the wilderness, and this is maybe the most important feature of the wilderness, you cannot survive unless God is providing for you. You cannot survive unless God is providing for you, right? God sends the manna. He sends uh, the quail for the people. He, he brings water out of a rock when they're in the wilderness because they cannot survive on their own. The wilderness, and some of you who have been through really tough stuff in your life know this very well. It is in these wilderness times in your life where you often encounter God. That's the first thing, the wilderness. The second thing is that our passage today is in some ways a redo of the creation story. Okay, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, the beginning of creation. Um, one of the first clues you get is Genesis 1, verse 2 talks about the Spirit hovering over the waters. And the image is unmistakably like the image in Jesus' baptism of the Spirit hovering like a dove. Okay? Um, and this becomes really important because the thing that happens right after creation in Genesis is Adam and Eve are tempted. Right? They're tempted by Satan and they fail their temptation. Right? And sin comes into the world. This is recreation. This is the do-over. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that uh, Jesus is like a second Adam. Jesus is tempted in our passage today. He doesn't fail. He is obedient to God, and he is obedient to God all the way to the cross. And because of that, his righteousness, his obedience applies to us. It fixes what Adam messed up. So those are two things that I just wanted to say to give you a little bit of orientation where we're at. All right, Mark 1. Verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him into the desert, threw him into the desert, is what it really says. And he was in the desert 40 days, just like Israel was 40 years in the desert, 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. This is the word of the Lord. At the center of the Christian faith, is this very odd and mathematically illogical teaching of the Trinity. And this is one of those doctrines that you actually might be inclined to believe um, because it is so unusual, so strange, uh, that you'd think, you know, nobody would have made this up. I mean, if, you, if they would have made it up, they, they would have made it so much easier to understand. A few minutes ago, we read the Athanasian Creed. And uh, that creed is one of the oldest ways 
that the church has tried to explain this doctrine of the Trinity. And so uh, the, the Father is Almighty and the Son is Almighty and the Spirit is Almighty, yet there are not three Almighty beings, there is one Almighty being. Thus the, the Father is God and the Son is God and the Spirit is God, but there are not three gods, there is one God. And, and you're kind of reading that and you sort of get to the end and, and you say, oh, what? What did you say? Last week in children's worship, uh, the teacher was talking about, uh, was telling the children about um, the resurrection and said, oh, well, uh, God raised Jesus from the dead. And one of the boys gave her a look and, and said, but, but, but you said that Jesus was God. What do you mean uh, God raised Jesus from the dead? Good question. <laughs> the doctrine of the Trinity is it's like the quintessential ivory tower doctrine. You know what I mean when I say that? It's like it's the kind of thing that regular people are not thinking about. <laughs> we leave this to, to people with names like Athanasius, right? I mean, this is not like, and more to the point, some of you will tell me, and you'll be right, that the word Trinity, not once, not once is it in the Bible. I mean, we, we say that our creeds and our confessions, that they're, they're based on, uh, on Scripture. Where's Athanasius getting this stuff? All right, I'm, I'm going to take a shot at trying to explain it. <laughs> um, this doctrine is like a lot of doctrine. Um, what we know about God, we especially know because of the Bible. Now, depending on your perspective, there's either a problem or there's something really good about the Bible. Um, in our situation, the problem is that it's written by all these different people. All kinds of different people. In all kinds of different situations and all kinds of different uh, uh, cultures and, and centuries. And uh, some of the writing is like, it's like a history book. And some of it is like worship songs. And some of it is just like a personal letter between friends. <laughs> uh, and we say, well, they're all talking about God. And so, you know, somebody asks you, okay, what is God like? like well, um... I guess we'll just start in Genesis and we'll just read to Revelation. Like, that's what God is like. And the whole thing is pointing to God. And you say, well, you know, do you have a more concise answer than that? Like, well, uh, okay. That's what doctrine is, okay? It's, it's trying to put the puzzle together and, and looking at all these different things that the Bible says about God and trying to come up with something that fits maybe on a page or two instead of, you know, 66 books. All right, um, so this is how it works with the Trinity. The first thing you have to wrestle with is that the Bible is just extremely clear that there's one God. <laughs> so, like, one of the most important verses in the whole Bible is, uh, like, I think it's Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Here, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
not two, not three. The Lord is, is one. Right? And they say that, uh, Jews say that every day. And we could figure, Jesus probably said that every day of his life. The Lord is one. Okay. Case closed, right? But then, right, last week, if you were here last week, we were talking about Mark chapter 1. And uh, boy, you know, you're reading it and you, you know, the, the way that Mark talks about Jesus, boy, I mean, it sounds a lot like he thinks Jesus is God. And then to, to further complicate things, right, then uh, you're reading later in the New Testament and you're reading when it's talking about the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. And again, it, it, boy, you know the way the, the writers of the Bible talk about it? it boy, it sure, it sure seems like they, they believe the Spirit is God. So what is it? Is it three gods or is it one God? That's what Athanasius is trying to get at. That's what the doctrine of the Trinity is trying to answer. Is it, is it three gods or is it one God? And the answer is yes. But now, if you're as clever as the kids downstairs, your next question is, how does that work? How does that work? A lot of different ways to try to get at this. Some people will say, um, well, pastor, um, God is like an actor. God is like Tyler Perry. Um, he, uh, he's like an actor in a play, but he's playing multiple roles. Um, so he just, he's in like different costumes, okay? Uh, same God, same actor, but just different costumes. That's kind of like the... The water one, you've heard the water one, right? God's like water. You know, water can come as a liquid and a gas and as a solid. It's always water, but it's just different forms. That's okay. Those are okay. Um, I, I had to explain this to the youth group a couple weeks ago, and so I took an, an apple, and I said, you know, God's like an apple, and, you know, you got the, like the, the skin and the, the, is it the flesh? Is that what you call it? The meat? Anyway. Um, and you got the, the core. It's like three. But like it's one. And then, and then I took uh, and I took an egg and uh, I don't know where I'm going to do this. And I cracked it. I said, look, it's an egg, right? And you got like, uh, you got the shell and you got the, the yolk and you got the whites. There you go. It's God. <laughs> and, and as I thought about it, and, and I thought about it after youth group, and I thought about how I was going to crack this for you guys, and, and I thought, like, really? Like, like is that it? I mean, I mean, if truly, I mean, if this is the best we can do, <laughs> I mean, is this is this a doctrine that's even really worth knowing? Uh, I mean, we can just wait another fifteen years to read the Athanasian Creed, right? I mean, it. I mean, what what's the point? What's the payoff? 
in believing that God is like an egg or an apple or an ice cube. That's what brings us to our passage today. Mark chapter 1. And in our passage today, the heavens are torn open. This is a little Bible study tip from your pastor. When the heavens are torn open, pay attention. Just generally speaking, pay attention. It's usually a sign, it happens a few times in the Bible, and it's a sign that we're about to see a special revelation of God. We're going to get a look at something that maybe we don't usually get to look at. In a way, that's how a lot of religions talk, right? I mean, all religions kind of have the same basic idea that there's more to this world than what we can see, than what meets the eye. And so religions use language just like this. Uh, curtains being pulled back and veils being lifted and, and heavens being torn open. It's how we get at deeper reality. And so here we are in Mark chapter 1. The heavens are ripped open and we get a look at the deepest reality. And I've got good news for you. A deep reality is more interesting than an egg. First, Mark tells us that the spirit descends like a dove. And, and the image, it is so resonant with the image of uh, anointing. And when there'd be like a new king, uh, they would anoint the king and they'd put oil on his head. And it was a way of sort of claiming that king or separating him or sort of almost symbolizing, empowering that king. That's what the Spirit does to the Son. And then, uh, and then the Father speaks. you got the whole Trinity here. The Father speaks. And, and, uh, and first He claims His Son. He says, you are My Son. And then He affirms His Son. He says, whom I love, uh, with you I am well pleased. The heavens are torn open. And what we see is not an apple or an actor or an egg. We see something much more than that, don't we? More dynamic than that. You know, we really only see a glimpse of it in Mark. Mark uses a real economy of words. He, he's not very chatty. Um, John, on the other hand, the Gospel of John, he goes on and on and on and uh, in John 15 to 17, I want you to read that this week. John 15 to 17. Jesus is talking, like the whole time he's talking, and, and he's talking about this relationship he has in the Trinity. <laughs> uh, and, and when you're reading it this week, you're going to hear things like, uh, Jesus obeys his Father. Uh, and the Spirit points to the Son. Uh, and the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and, and the Father gives everything to the Son, and, and, and the Spirit glorifies the Son. The heavens are ripped open for us to see the deepest part of reality. And what do we see? Do we see an apple? Do we see an egg? No, I... I think we see a dance. Uh, 
I think we see a dance. I think we see a relationship in perfect harmony. You know, what you'll notice when you're reading John 15 to 17 is that neither the Father, nor the Son, nor the Holy Spirit uh, occupy the spotlight the whole time. They're always like pointing it at each other. I was thinking about um, there are different kinds of people. Um, Some people, when they walk into a room uh, or a party, uh, the first thing they say is they say, hey, I'm here. It's like, hey, look at me. I'm here. And there are other people, and I aspire to be like these people. A lot of you are like these people. They walk into a room and they say, oh, you made it. You see how different that is? I'm here! Against like, oh, you, you made it. You probably don't think about it, but if you're like me, you much prefer being in the company of the second kind of person. The person who says, oh, yeah, you made it. See, when, when we are at our most selfish, we want all the attention right here. You know something about selfish people? They're not very good dancers. Um, Good dancing is like a good relationship, right? And, And you move together, back and forth. It can't just be in one direction, right? Or it's not a dance. I think we see this vividly in abusive relationships. Okay. Um, sometimes you're talking to a, a victim of abuse. Let's say it's, it's a, a wife. And, uh, and she'll say something like, um, you know, I, I know that my, my husband has trouble controlling his anger, but I love him, and, you know, I'm just I'm trying to submit to him. I say, okay. Okay, um, submitting is good, you know, loving is very good. You need that in a relationship. But they need to be mutual. It needs to be mutual. I mean, uh, an abusive relationship, it only goes one way. Right? It's, it's not a dance, right? It's, it's a drag, That's why an abusive relationship, in some ways, has really ceased to, to really be... I mean, it's, it's not quite right to even call it a relationship anymore. Uh, because it is all about one person. And the other person just disappears. The Trinity is never like that. You know, the Father just delights to show off the sun. You know, and, and, and the son uh, delights to listen to his father. And, and, and the spirit uh, delights to empower the son. And, and around and around it goes in just this most beautiful dance. A good dancer makes the other person look good. You know, that, that's what we see in Jesus' baptism, right? 
The Father and the Spirit making Jesus look good. Right, they're, they're encouraging Him and they are empowering Him. Right? And then throughout the rest of the Gospel, the Son is, is going to, to glorify the Father. Right? And He's going to obey the Father and He's going to honor the Spirit. It's this dance. That's what deep reality looks like. This is the essence of God. When, when the curtain is pulled back, that's what we see. We see a dance. The essence of God, it's community. It's, it's a relationship. So now here's the question. If this is all a part of who God is, what does it mean when the Bible says that we are created in the image of this God? We are created in the image of this God. Now, some people, they say, well, you know, created in the image of God, it means that you have a soul. Or it means that you're moral, or it means that uh, you, you can be creative, or you can worship. That's all true. But here, in Mark 1, when the heavens are torn open, what we discover is that in addition to being created to, to be moral and to worship, if we are created in the image of God, then we were created to dance. Think of it this way. I mean, imagine if God, imagine if God were not a trinity. Okay, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that uh, God is unipersonal. Let's say it's just the Spirit. Okay. Uh, part of what that would mean is that things like love, you know, uh, John says that God is love. Things like love and community and relationship, that could not be an essential part of who God is. Right? Because, of course, God existed for eternity before creation. And that entire time, He just, just would have been there, alone. Nobody to love, no community, just there. You know, sometimes a cynic a cynic will look at the Christian God and they will look at, the, at all this stuff and they'll say, geez, I mean, boy, you guys. Um, you know, your God has some serious self-esteem issues. Right? Because, I mean, here he goes to all this trouble to create the world, right? Just because he wanted some people to love him or honor him. I mean, imagine, just for a second, I mean, imagine um, like an adoption hearing. Okay, there's like a potential parent sitting there and talking to a counselor. And he's like, "Well, you know what? I really want to have kids, you know, because uh, you know I've just I've been looking for some little people, you know, to like to honor me and to love me, you know, and and possibly to worship me." And you'd be like, "What?" And they'd never be approved, right? But see, if you understand the Trinity. What you see is that God did not 
uh, create us because he was lacking community, because he was lonely. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't need more opportunities to love. Love and community exist perfectly within God. All right, look at Mark 1, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are, they are in this perfect dance all the time. Whenever we're at a wedding, uh, Lauren always wants me to dance. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of self-conscious. And uh, so, like, dancing is, is a little scary to me. Um, but most of the time I do it, right? Most of the time. Um, now, I, I know that um, Lauren doesn't want me to dance just because... She wants a dance partner. Um, she's usually doing fine without me, right? She's got her friends. She's, she's doing fine. Um, she doesn't need me. But she wants me to dance because she knows how beautiful and fun dancing is. It is a joy in itself. And she wants to share that with me. It's the same way with God. He wants us to enjoy the dance. He wants us to feel the rhythm of his love. He, he wants us to move to the melody of his grace. I mean, he created us not to get the party started, he created us because the music was so good and there was room for more. See, when we begin to uncover this Trinity stuff, when we see this deeper reality, we realize that we were created not to stand in isolation. Uh, we, we, we were not created to be like believing heads on a stick. Uh, we were created for relationships. That is the meaning of life. That is the meaning of our lives. It is relationships, especially with God, but also with each other, and with friends and neighbors and, and those who, who don't know the Lord. We were created to dance. And so a good question to ask, and this is something Keller asks in, in his book, something like this, Are you in the dance? Are you in the dance? Or do you just believe in God? Are you in the dance? Or do you just believe in God? Because you, you can just believe in like this unipersonal God, right? That such a God would probably just want obedience and your, your belief, right? It'd be mostly all that matters. But if at the heart of who your God is, if at the heart of who your God is, is dynamic community and love, then it wouldn't be enough just to believe in this God. You'd want to be relating to this God. You'd want to be dancing with this God. You'd be trying to pick up the, the rhythms of his gospel. You'd try to help other people to notice the baseline of his kingdom. 
you would want everybody to join this party, to move to this music. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, we praise you. We thank you that you are both perfect unity and, and perfect triunity. That you have been engaged in perfect community eternally. And that it was so good you wanted us to be caught up into it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would get our legs moving and, uh, and help us to hear that, the rhythm and the beat uh, to dance, Lord, into your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name alone. Amen.